Hey everyone, Cole here. Uh, what you're about to hear is a fantastic interview with Faith Betwin. Um, unfortunately, due to some technical difficulties, uh, some of the mic quality is not super great. Unfortunately, due to time restraints, we weren't able to re-record, but it is still a fantastic interview, so please, please go and listen. Uh, will absolutely be worth it. Thank you, and enjoy. Welcome to International Podcast Month, or IPM. IPM is brought to you by the organizational team, Cole, Tess, and Theron. A very special thank you to all of our participants, without whom this event wouldn't be possible. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another IPM Creator Conversation episode. My name is Cole Burkhart, and today I am joined by the very lovely Faith McQuinn. Faith, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So for those of you who don't know, Faith... Wow, Faith does a lot of stuff. Uh, Faith does everything from short films to podcasts, uh, from Boom to Donuts and Margaritas, uh, whose newest show, Pollyanna, has just finished crowdfunding uh, and is, uh, I believe, moving on to, to writing and recording the rest of their season, if I'm correct? Yes, we are. We start recording... Everybody has their scripts. I finished episode 10 a couple of days ago, and we're in studio next weekend. Congratulations. Thank you. So you ju- you, you finished crowdfunding, and you did it through a, a kind of a new site, one that hasn't really been around uh, in the past couple of years called iFundWomen. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about your experiences with that new site and also the struggles of crowdfunding during a pandemic? Sure. I Well, I found um, a friend of mine who is also a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw that I was crowdfunding for season four of Boom, mm-hmm. and she suggested I check out iFundWomen. She said, you don't um, – so for anyone who wants to use it, um, you do not have to be a woman. Um, <laughs> you have to have a woman or someone who presents as – a woman on your team. It has to be a major part of your team to be on their site. Okay. And they are very huge into black creators. Um, they have um, massive grants that they do. I got a little grant. I got a $400 grant when I did boom, but they do grants up to 25,000, 50,000. They had did a hundred thousand grant and it's a matter of just filling out the forms and <laughs> And they like, oh, we like what you're doing. Here's a grant. It's kind of amazing. I don't know any awesome. other crowdfunding site that does huge grants like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, very customer friendly. If I had any trouble, they would send you an email. They even ask when, you're, when your campaign is going. They're like, hey, we see that you had like a rush over the weekend when Napoleon had that huge rush over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, it looks like it's going great. Maybe you want to extend it. We can talk about extending it. And they give you the options to do extensions and everything. So I highly, highly recommend iFundWomen, especially because it's not an all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, any money that you raise, you get to keep. Oh, awesome. Um, so yeah, they're, it's, a, it's a wonderful site and I want to keep using it. And um, <laughs> crowdfunding during a pandemic. <laughs> oh, not the um, easiest thing. <laughs> It's really fun when you're just like, oh, well, we can make projects because we can do it remote and that's fine and everybody can be safe. Oh, wait, no money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And for some reason, I like to torture myself with very large casts on a regular basis. Um, I have six main people in the cast and then... I believe over the course of 10 episodes, there might be 20 speaking roles. So wow. 
It's just, I never go small. It's like, go big or go home. How did you juggle all of that? Because I know with, with Boom, you did mainly in in session, in studio recording. Mm-hmm. But uh, this one, I, I'm assuming, was just all remote recording? Um, I have two, my two leads are mm-hmm. pretty local. So they're mm-hmm. going to be in studio, but everyone else... We're doing remote, and um, I am not joking when I have at least a dozen spreadsheets <laughs> to keep up with who is recording, how many scripts they need, how many scenes they're in, um, how much I have to pay them, have they sent their invoice, or have they been mm-hmm. paid yet? <laughs> it's a whole lot of <laughs> so many spreadsheets. Do you have any advice? Uh, I mean, besides spreadsheets, which are great, do you have any advice for someone trying to like keep it all together? Um, Besides spreadsheets, making a schedule, and mm-hmm. um, I'm always going to say have a producer, don't try. <laughs> if you're going to write and direct it, push that scheduling and everything else off to someone else if you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I put all the spreadsheets together, but Amanda, my producer, is definitely mm-hmm. keeping all that organized, scheduled everyone. So when I do my one-on-ones, I didn't have to worry about that. She said, what's your schedule look like? And I gave her my open dates. And then she <laughs> talked to the five other people and then came back to me and said, this is when you're recording. I'm like, thank you. That's exactly what I need not to have to worry about that kind of thing. And she's dealing mm-hmm. with the paperwork and making sure we keep all that. So I highly, highly recommend having a partner in crime just to help you not scream <laughs> as much. I mean, obviously they're screaming, but um, to not do it as much. <laughs> a little bit more of a, a controlled scream, I suppose. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, awesome. Um so I wanted to dive in a little bit about um, something you had mentioned during a podcast movement when I got to see one of your panels um, in how you became like a professional researcher. Like oh. for Boom, you learned how to make a bomb. And for your newest series, you you sat down with uh, like some virus experts. Did right, you talk yeah. about your process for like taking complicated topics and making them digestible for an audience? Um, it was really interesting. I'll go back to Boom first because mm. I joke that I am probably on um, an NSA watch list <laughs> from looking up, you know, how a suicide vest works and um, can you defuse a bomb and what drugs can knock out a person if you inject them properly, <laughs> the kind of things I looked up. But I'm a real, it's it's interesting because I um, grew up in a medical family. My My dad is a therapist. My mom is a nurse. My grandma is a nurse. My aunt, <laughs> like a lot of nurses and therapists <laughs> in my family. And i when they watch movies, when I was growing up, they're always like, that's wrong. That doesn't look right. <laughs> Why are they doing that? <laughs> and it just, it kept getting in my head of how things don't, like people don't take the time to do just a little bit of Googling to get something right. Mm-hmm. And since I have a bit of an obsessive personality, um, I tend to really dive in probably Mm -hmm. more than necessary but (laughs) i like learning so it's really fun to be able to bring that to the script so i did that with boom where not only was i researching on my own i went and found people who do the job so um, one of my classmates from high school is a criminal lawyer so i told him what i was doing and he said you know what i'm gonna present the case to you as if your main character is my client 
Oh, cool. So he basically broke down the whole case for me. So when I was like, you basically wrote episodes. <laughs> so <laughs> any of the words that you hear when they're talking, when he's talking with the lawyer about his case, it all came from my friend talking about how he would sit down with clients and talk to them. And I was like, the, trying to bring that authenticity to it, even if somebody who's never been a lawyer, never been in that situation, wouldn't know if I was correct or not. It makes me feel good for the people who do know <laughs> to be like, oh, well, that was accurate. So getting into Apollyon, I've always been kind of a science nerd, but I really didn't know much about virology. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to write this thing where the main character is a virologist, maybe I should find a virologist. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody wants to know, there is um, the National Society of Virologists. And um, they were very kind and gave me a list of virology a virologist around the country who do presentations at schools. Huh. So the two I have, um, Peter and Lindsay, both do presentations at school. So when I asked questions, they said, do you want the science answer or do you want the answer we would tell <laughs> students? And I was like, give me the science answer so I have the language, but also explain it to me like I have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. So it was a whole lot of, I'd like to say that it was me translating, but it was a lot mm -hmm. of them helping me get the language right just by having them explain it like they would explain it to a colleague. So it's like, oh, well, I see you using words that I've never heard before. Tell me what that actually is. But mm -hmm. then in the script, I can use the word because I know that a scientist would actually use the word. Um, I do have to say that it's prob probably part of my obsessive personality that I do <laughs> tend to fixate <laughs> on things and want to get them very right. Do you think you're, you're like your passion for an interest is what drives you to write uh, write a show? Like, yeah. did you sit down and be like, I want to write a show about a virus and then got into it and then wrote the show for it? Yeah, it was kind of like this idea of, I think a few years back, I was curious, you know, because you see all these end of world mm -hmm. shows like Apocalypse and all that. And I'm like, what happens mm -hmm. after? Like, we don't and, and spend we, a lot of time We do have to that. point out that while Apollyon is happening during a pandemic, you wrote it before it happened, right? right? Yes, I wrote it before yes. the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, I know a lot of people are going to listen to it because we of the pandemic we happen to be in, that they're going to compare mm -hmm. it to COVID. But the disease that I wrote in the show is actually more like measles and HIV. Mm. It's like this weird combination of oh, something I learned for those who care. Um, measles is easily the most transmittable virus that we have. Huh. Um, I read in some article, I wish I could find it again, that if you were in a room of people and one person had measles, 90% um, of the people in that room would get it. Wow. If they aren't vaccinated or and they're just standing there with that person, 90% of the people in the room would get measles. And the reason that we don't have measles spread as fast as it does is because people can see measles. So if someone has it, <laughs> you can see that they have it. And also, there's a vaccine. Also, there's a it. vaccine. You can so, get vaccinated. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. So <sighs> the idea that um, you can think of a disease that spreads like measles, but sits dormant like HIV. I mm -hmm. asked my virologist, I was like, would this kill a population? And they were like, yes immediately like because people would get it and not know they had it until they were sick and by that mm -hmm. time they've infected everyone that they've come in contact with so just in case you want to be scared <laughs> i've created a very scary <laughs> uh, 
That's that's so cool. I love that. Oh, I have a question for you. Um, you have written in so many different genres, um, from thrillers to romances to uh, science fiction. Do you do you? A, what do you think about your your writing stays consistent throughout these genres? And B, what have you learned from from all of the uh, the different pies you've had your hands in? Um, I think uh, my consistency is in caring about relationships. I really like to mm-hmm. focus on not necessarily, obviously, in the rom com as romantic relationships, mm-hmm. but I like to think about how people interact with the people that are closest to them. So no matter the situation, Boom was about, you know, this very close friendship that broke up over something pretty massive and him finding, I don't know, comfort in relationships. And I like to Mm -hmm. explore that no matter what the genre is. So I'm always looking for a person who's trying to build personal relationships no matter Mm -hmm. what's happening around them. So that would probably be my consistency. Um, I've learned that rom-coms are very difficult and congratulations (laughs) to everyone who does them because, oh my God, (laughs) um, turns out that that is not my favorite genre. I know people love margaritas and donuts and thank you, thank you, thank you, but it is not, it is not my cup of tea. As someone who enjoys writing about relationships, why do you think a rom-com was difficult for you? Um, I think it was mostly because I, I like to... This sounds very awful, but I like to put my characters in peril. (laughs) I like to take everything away from them and see how strong they can be to get everything back. And you don't get to do that in a rom-com. People don't seem to like that. (laughs) When you destroy a person's world, they're like, this was supposed to be funny? This was supposed to be (laughs) lighthearted. I mean, completely dar- tearing down a character isn't lighthearted. Weird. <laughs> also, and um, being purposefully funny is very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of margaritas and donuts came out of just awkward situations. Instead of trying to purposefully write jokes, I was trying to just make it awkward. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Telling Tavius and Danny to also be as awkward as possible when we were doing it, so that the so that the lightheartedness and the comedy just mm-hmm. came from situations. But purposefully writing jokes, I also <laughs> amazed at people who can do that. You are amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about, um, I guess, what makes a good character relationship? Uh, I think just um, understanding who your protagonist is versus who your main relationship character is. Like, I know that that seems very simple, but a lot of people start writing a thing and they're like, well, this story is about both of them. And while you can have a dual protagonist, sometimes it's a little easier to start with just the story being about this one person (laughs) and having supporting characters behind them. So I think trying to figure out whose goal is the most important. And then when you're creating those other characters to find ways to support that character's goals and find ways to either um, create conflict or create support is how you get these really like solid relationships between characters. Hell yeah. I love that. Um, what would you say makes or breaks 
someone being your protagonist versus the antagonist? What if you like develop this goal out and realize halfway through they're a villain? Ooh. Um, sometimes they're still the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do love a good villain. And um, like your strongest antagonist could easily you flip your story over and they're now the protagonist and your protagonist is the antagonist. Like if honestly, if you make them strong enough, you can, you can go either way. But I have, um, usually I try my hardest to, you know, be like, nope, this is the protagonist. This is the person's story we're following. But then I'll like, you know, weave in some more flaws for that antagonist Mm -hmm. so that there's more human levels. Yeah. Uh, How far out do you like plan your characters and plot before you start writing? Um, Usually I know how the story is going to end. So I might not have the middle done, but I Mm. could probably from like day one with boom, I knew how the final episode was going to play up. And um, with Apollyon, I know how it's going to end. I have no idea how many seasons we're going to do whatever, but I know that that final episode will play out this way so yeah i know how it ends it's just a matter of getting all the details in the middle so you did do the uh the artwork for apollyon right and and all of the social media stuff as well how do you how do you juggle all doing all of that (laughs) terribly um (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's just okay i get um the art, I sometimes, I, I was like, I'm, this is not, I'm not going to do the art this time. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it. But we were at zero budget. So it's a matter of, I'm not going to go and like ask an artist, a volunteer to do cover art for me. So I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what, I'm going to design it. If we get money later on, maybe I'll have someone else redesign it. But then I liked it. So I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's gorgeous art. And then I start, once I build that main cover art, all of the stuff for social, social media is built off of that. So I have... I have a file that has all of the hex codes for the colors that are in the cover art so that I always Mm. use the same colors and I have the font saved so I know what font it is and I choose like the sub fonts that'll be the type. So everything is very um, branded once I get a show done. Mm -hmm. So I still keep trying to rethink how does this, I focus a lot on Instagram because I like visuals. I'm just like, how does, how does this look? Twitter is like my afterthought. I'm like, oh, I did all this stuff on Instagram. Maybe I should mention it. Maybe I should tweet something. I don't know. (laughs) So I'm really bad with branding on Twitter, but I have a lot of fun with the images. Do you find there's a lot of uh, community on Instagram for podcasting? Not as much. It's interesting because I think like the reason I like Twitter is because a bunch of podcasters are there and there's a nice community. And the mm-hmm. reason I like Instagram is because people who listen to podcasts tend to be there, not as mm. much the podcasters, but people who listen. So Instagram feels more like the fan service space, okay. while okay. Twitter is more of the colleague space. Have you spent any time on, on Facebook or Reddit as far as communities um, go? <laughs> I always forget Reddit. Like, I always do. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, Reddit. Um, I really do feel like if I got into it, I'd spend more time on Reddit because Reddit feels like the kind of thing that, you know, conversations, people like mm-hmm. random arguments into the void. You know, it's Twitter, but, you know, not as angry. Obviously, I'm not in the same <laughs> no! parts of Reddit that other people are in because I just try to avoid those. Uh, but, like, when you get Probably really, really, best. like, sub, sub, sub Reddit, <laughs> people aren't as angry. <laughs> it's general Reddit. That is just nothing. 
Um, but yeah, I do. I spend time on Facebook, but the interactions on Facebook are really like my close friends and family. <laughs> like I have a couple of like hardcore fans, but literally like a couple. Mm-hmm. So I just that begs the question: How or where do you find community? Um. Wow. Um, I know, because <laughs> it's, it's a question that I've talked about with a couple other people of color in that it's really hard to find just like a, a solid community of non-white folks within podcasting. Yeah, I have to say, I'm sure it's there because there, I have a very small community with the audio, uh, black audio dramas exist. Mm-hmm. There are a few of us. I mean, there are lots in the group now, but only like a few of them do I really feel like, oh, this is our little close-knit community of four or five people, which mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with because I've all been like that my whole life. I don't want like yeah. 30 people around me. I like having my close-knit like four <laughs> people. But interestingly, the biggest group that I have found is on Facebook and it's called Black Screenwriters. Mm. It is probably the happiest group of people <laughs> I have ever like, like professional group of people I have interacted with. Everyone is very supportive if someone says something that is at all homophobic, racist, anything, they get shut down. Like, it's not even, oh, well, maybe we should hear this person out. It's immediately like, no, we don't do that here. Yeah, and I love the group. They're, every, they're supportive. Everybody helps out. Everybody, even when somebody's like, can you look at my script and tell me what's wrong with it? And people are kind about saying, look, this is not a very strong dialogue. Maybe you should work on it a little bit. But mm-hmm. Nobody's angry and everybody's happy. And it is just a community of people who also write, who are also black. And it is just, it's my happy place. I, I never thought I'd find a place on Facebook that was a happy place, but <laughs> there it is. I found it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love that. Um, it's straight being able to have a, a strong supporting community. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so now that you've finished writing Apollyon, what are you going to do? Um, since we're in the edit, I'm still, I haven't felt the limbo yet. I, I did for mm. about, I, I had like three days of the scripts are done and we haven't started recording yet. So I, I get in like weird creative panic mode of now what, <laughs> now what do I do? Do, do I start season two? Do I work on any project? I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, the answer is I'm working on a companion series, trying to work on a companion series for it, where I'm actually talking to scientists or everybody else can nerd out as much as I did over the science. Oh, cool. So that's something. Is it going to be a nonfiction or a fiction? Probably nonfiction. I, um, oh, cool. I've been kind of um, binging this series on YouTube by GQ. Mm-hmm. It's called The Breakdown. And they interview, or basically it's not an interview, it's experts in an area looking at movies and talking about how accurate they are. And that's basically what I want to do. I want to put a virologist in a room with my show and (laughs) listen to a part of the show and then go, this is accurate. This is not. I'm like, just break down my show. So I'm hoping to do something like that. (laughs) And um, I don't know if anybody saw my tweet from wherever ago where I was supposed to be writing. And instead I was thinking about um, a heist in space. (laughs) So, um, Artemis that was discussed a long time ago is Mm. um, manifesting into possibly being that space heist. Um, There's an interesting thing that happened, I think, early 2000s, 
Um, I was in the FBI archives, you know, as you do. As you and, do. <laughs> uh, found out that a NASA intern was arrested for planning a heist and successfully committing said heist and stole <laughs> like $50 million worth of moon rocks. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to steal something. <laughs> so I kind of want to, I'm going to, I have visuals. Uh, this Ooh, visuals. Uh, which you might not be able to see because my screen's all blurry, but uh, there. It's uh, for listeners, it is sex, sex on, on the moon. moon. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> in the early 2000s, a NASA intern decided to plan a heist with his friends to steal moon rocks. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know, moon rocks are extremely valuable. We're talking 25 to $50 million is mm -hmm. what moon rocks would run if people were going to sell moon rocks. And they successfully pulled off the heist. Successfully until they all went to prison. But um, yeah. so this NASA you know. intern who, extremely smart, was on the track to go to astronauts was to be an astronaut candidate, um, threw it all away, and did this heist. For some for some rocks. For some rocks. Well, like, stole $20 million worth of moon rocks, destroyed a bunch of um, research from the Ooh. Apollo days, spent, spent at least a decade in prison. Now he's out. He's doing TED Talks. He's a... <laughs> He's still doing his thing. Yeah, of course. I mean, what else are you going to do if you go to jail for something stupid is <laughs> come out and talk about it? So I thought that would be very interesting to, to like, you know, space heist, but with actual astronauts and actual like, mm. NASA employees might be an interesting thing. Oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, and a good way to actually get a visit from the FBI. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I'm not. I'm not planning this heist, I swear. I'm so here for it. And a, a good way to cross genres, too. You've done horror, you've done romance, you've done science fiction, and, and now m more science fiction, but thriller this time. <laughs> Hopefully less murder than boom. <laughs> yes, definitely. I am de I'm not. I'm going to finally not kill. Oh, wait. I didn't kill anybody in Margarita's and Donuts. Okay. I'm going to uh, once okay, again not kill anybody. <laughs> or does that mean that you have to kill someone now? It's every other season. <laughs> People must die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, howdy. Um, <laughs> Let's never just, take that I, out of context, please. <laughs> please. Please, absolutely. <laughs> if you need to at Faith on Twitter, you can do so at Observer Picks. <laughs> <laughs> characters, characters. I want characters to die, everyone. It's fine. <laughs> How how do you handle uh, deciding to kill off characters? Because um, those are always that's always a a, a quote unquote big decision to do in writing. Yeah, and um, it's all it's all to serve the protagonist. Honestly, I mm -hmm. have to make the decision if I kill this person, how will it affect my protagonist, and will they be able to recover from it? Is it something that will change them? Is it this kind of thing. Mm. I knew from the onset that on Boom that Jimmy Beef was going to die. Sorry, spoilers. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> that she was going to die. It's the first episode. <laughs> Y'all don't, don't, don't listen. If you have not listened by this point in the interview, you, you probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew I was going to kill her very 
soon. And it was going to be the catalyst for everything that happened to Porter after mm-hmm. that. Um, this one is a little deeper into the season, so this is definitely a spoiler if you have not listened, but I decided not to kill Allie. She was going to die. Um, oh. When, when she gets attacked, she was going to die. Mm-hmm. I realized that killing her... It might not affect Porter, but it would affect Porter's relationship with Myra to the point of no return. Like, Mm -hmm. if he hadn't said, hey, Luke murdered people, and then he murders Allie, (laughs) Myra's like, no, I'm never going to see you again, ever. Mm -hmm. So I was like, no, she Mm -hmm. can't die. I can't can't kill her, because then that kind of destroys the romance story part. So I was like, I can't do that. I can't do it. (laughs) Why would Myra stick around? (laughs) Like, there's no After way that. it'd be done. <laughs> she would probably leave the state. Like, it would not be like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I can't kill that character. But what I'm, like, sitting here trying to decide, that's, that's really what it comes down to. I'm like, okay, so if this character dies, what's all of the aftermath? Is it worth it? So that's how I make the decision. Because sometimes it's fun to just be like, ah, you're going to die today. But I have to, like, really think of how it serves the protagonist first. Sometimes I kill characters I don't like because I'll write them and I'm like, oh. So we talked about earlier um, community and online spaces, uh, Instagram Mm -hmm. versus Twitter. Uh, How, because of the nature of online spaces, how do you go about cultivating um, both your, cultivating your relationships both with actor as well as listener? (laughs) With my actors, I... I am never shy to tell them how much I love them. <laughs> and I don't know. I have no idea how, how um, genuine my actors think I am, but I get very giddy and excited. And when we're in a recording studio, it's a little hard because I can't do happy dances while, <laughs> while they're recording, but I'm doing internal happy dances and I'm so excited. And I will tell them, I'm like, that was beautiful. That was brilliant. It's amazing. I love what you're doing. Da, 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 da. And I, you know, I just... It feels like a kid in a candy shop with them. So I just make sure that they see that. And, you know, for when we do remote recording, I don't have that option to say it to them. So I'll always send it. I'm like, that was amazing work. Thank you for what you're doing. I will constantly thank them. I will constantly remind them that this show doesn't happen without them. And also ask them how they feel about the characters. Like, it's not, I never look at directing as a dictatorship. I mean, I do have the final decision, but they are part of this character as much as me creating this character. So I need to know how they feel about it. And if they feel like the line would read that way, or if the emotion should be this way. So we'll always talk about how to make the character more realistic and more comfortable for them. Have you ever like fully changed a character based on an actor? Um, I've changed the outcome of a character based on an actor. Like we'll still like play Mm -hmm. with it, but I'm like, Oh no, I really like how you're, reading this. I really like where this is going. So then we'll start giving more backstory. Like Allie and Boom is a big, mm-hmm. um, big play in that because she was supposed to be like the best friend and be over here and not have a whole lot of backstory. And then the absolutely delightful, wonderful Courtney Holly took the role and Allie turned into this like full human where I was like, oh no, she needs full backstory because the only backstory I had for her was like this two paragraph thing. And I'm like, no, we're going to create this whole thing. We got to <laughs> give her a whole backstory. So Courtney and I were like, oh, what, what would she do? And what would she do here? So it became a whole mm-hmm. like, let's build out this character and make her amazing so that she is a fully realized human. And I think when 
I do that, a lot of listeners can hear that they get more involved with it, which also makes me super giddy and happy when people are like, no, what did you do? <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> I like live in it. I don't know. I was just like, soak it in. Tell me why I'm awful. <laughs> Yes, you've you've murdered your character. Yes, now tell me the consequences of my actions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is honestly one of my favorite things. <laughs> God bless. Uh, how do you how do you know about maintaining those those like audience uh, um, relationships? I definitely engage, like, and mm. not. And I've seen like people say, oh, that's great. No, I will think about it. I will write about it. I will come back. I will ask more questions. I think I actually approach it like I did when I taught. Like Mm -hmm. if my students are talking about something, I used to tell them, I was like, if I ask you to read a classmate's work and you come back and say, it's good, I'm going to ask you why. I'm going to always ask you why. So I tend to do that with my audience when I'm like, you know, if I want to put out a question to start to get community going, I'm like, mm-hmm. so what's your favorite episode? And then somebody will just say their episode. I'm like, what did you like about that episode? <laughs> like, I'm trying to like, uh-huh. like, I want you to talk. And it's not because I want to know. I mean, mm-hmm. I do want to know. That's such a lie. I totally want to know why you like it. <laughs> but I also want you to share. This is what I like about this. So somebody else can be like, oh, and I have seen arg- I've seen arguments and long conversations about why Porter is a terrible person and why <laughs> Myra and Porter should never date and the- shouldn't have dated in the first place. Mm-hmm. And oh, my God, should have just been a one night stand and move on. And <laughs> it becomes this whole like conversation. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened with margaritas and donuts where people are like, oh, Joe should have realized right away that Malik was perfect. And I was like, oh, no, we have to work to that. (laughs) So it's fun to, like, see people talk about the characters like they are their friends or people that they, um, you know, passed on the street or something. So I keep, like, I push it. I I am an instigator as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) God, I love that. Um all right. Well, thank you. Uh, I believe that's about all uh, the time we have for today. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Um, Absolutely. Before we go, do you have any projects or or podcasts that uh, you would like our audience to take a look at, or, or would you like to shout out? Um, I did finally finish up Unseen, and I enjoyed the heck out of that. <laughs> and um, the courtship of Mona May. I am in Ooh. love with, in love with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just started listening to 13, which is my yes. new obsession. I am, oh, Oh, we got so to meet good. them at the podcast movement. Yes. They're such great crew. And I'm so excited that I met them because I don't think mm-hmm. I would have found the show otherwise. I'm not really big into <laughs> horror. And mm-hmm. um, my 11-year-old daughter, which I don't know if I should actually say this since some of those episodes are not safe for work. <laughs> she's obsessed with horror and she started <laughs> listening to it too. Mm-hmm. And um, she binged. Uh, Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. Episodes. You don't like horror, and yet you've written <laughs> the thing that is boom and also a polygon, which seems pretty <laughs> horrific to me. Oh, I just, yeah, I just want to yeah, take yeah. some time to, to pause on that. <laughs> sorry. That you don't like horror. <laughs> Great. <laughs> 
But I will say that 13, what what I mm-hmm. thought it was going to be is what it's more like what I like, like psychological mm-hmm. thriller. It's totally okay, so. Okay. I know that people call it a horror podcast because I guess it is horror. It is, but I would call it psychological thriller because this is mm-hmm. the kind of stuff that like stays with me every episode just like digs in and I'm thinking about mm-hmm. it constantly after mm-hmm. the fact and yeah my like I said my daughter Danny she's a huge huge horror fan and she's obsessed with it too so I don't know if that's great I'm not going to go and recommend it to 11 year olds but <laughs> <laughs> but my 11 year old loves it <laughs> But at the very least, we can recommend it to uh, some of the older than 11-year-old folks who listen to this yes. show. Yes, it's it's spectacular and you should all listen to it. I think our it. demographic is a little higher than, than 11, so I think we'll be okay. Yes. No, it's like, just for reference, my 11-year-old also loves Supernatural, so that's... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but we, so there's that. We don't have time to unpack that. Let's just toss the whole suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> Faith, thank you so much for sitting down with me to talk about thank you, Cole. this. Um, where where can folks find you on the internet? I am on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ObserverPix, P-I-X. And my personal Twitter is F-B-M-C, which is F-B-E-E-M-C-E-E. And our website is ObserverPictures.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. The intro and outro music for all IPM episodes is composed by Benny James. Our graphic art and logo are by Matthias Grelly. You can support International Podcast Month by sharing and talking about the event, and you can even buy our team members a coffee. Links are in the show notes. Follow us at PodMonth on Twitter. Head on over to internationalpodcastmonth.com for the month-long blog and for more information about the event. International Podcast Month, celebrating creators, sharing listeners.